0: Open your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 1 and get the handout. Alright, so so far in the book of Proverbs we've talked about the seven collections in the book and having looked at the seven collections uh, we focused in on collection one. So, collection one is going all the way from the beginning of the book to the end of chapter 9. And So, we saw how um, we had the kind of the purpose statement. You know, The first seven verses is, is an introduction. It has a purpose statement, and it has a thesis. Right? So the, the book is for the purpose of what it says in verses 2 and 3, to hear wisdom and instruction, to see the words of understanding, to grab the instruction of success, justice, judgment, and equity. So we talked about wisdom, Hokmah, and musar uh, being discipline and how important those are. So wisdom and discipline. And then we talked about Haskell or success being a common theme as well. Uh, trying to understand what's true, being able to pick rightly and being able to do things in an orderly or beautiful way uh, what's described as equity there. So verse 7 gave to us the thesis for the book and it's going to kind of be coming back to it over and over again and today we'll be focusing on on a section that emphasizes the same message. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the idea that the fear of God is the starting point for knowledge that without having a definition of God that is the biblical definition we're not going to have a basis for knowledge and then at the same time fools who don't have knowledge they hate wisdom and they hate instruction, they hate Hokmah and they hate masar they hate uh, the discipline and so how will they get knowledge without pursuing wisdom without pursuing the knowledge of what is good and how will they get it without discipline or instruction and so this callback exists over and over again about how you know, are, you, are you a fool Do you do you hate wisdom, do you hate instruction or are you going to pursue wisdom and instruction to be the wise so we're shown over and over again the silliness the foolishness the folly of being a fool and so last time we talked about the father's invitation versus the gang's invitation and so we considered how uh, the household is the natural place for instruction and in a well-ordered home It's a building block for society and the importance of being concerned for parents. I gave to you as a handout. I didn't have time to go through it, but the larger catechism is teaching on the fifth commandment. If you didn't review that, I'd really encourage you to go back and check that out. It's a beautiful um, thing written by our forefathers in the faith, gathering together the understanding of honoring legitimate authority. How to deal with people based upon station, but also the gang we, we saw that there's this kind of this false household, so to speak, of the kind of Marxist revolutionary gang, uh, the, the tendency of young men to gather together and seek to use violence to take money, to take wealth, to gain power, to get pleasure, to share one purse, this kind of promise of equality, and in reality how that ends up in a sort of tyranny. And so we considered that. So the next part, uh, you'll remember on page one we talked about of the chiasm the structure uh, it's kind of a half moon shape uh, of of what we've gone through so far so there was a the invitation of the father versus the invitation of the gang um, and the next part that we're in is the the rebuke of wisdom wisdom rebukes the simple so um, as we're going through you know, we're getting we're progressing along towards the middle of that chiasm and we'll be coming back out Uh, But that's the the structure there. So that's the context that we're coming into today. Um, Let's read now chapter 1, verses 20 to 33 in Proverbs chapter 1. Wisdom calls aloud outside or in the streets. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out. In the chief concourses, at the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called, and you refused. I have stretched out my hand, and no one regarded because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes, when your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely Will be secure without fear of evil. Alright, so page two of the handout. We have at verse 20 and 21 uh, an introduction of wisdom. So you think about how we kind of left out the father was calling the son to hear. And so here now, I think about the Father continuing to sort of now explain. So the Father is presenting the woman wisdom to the Son to think about. And and so this is a continuation of the Father. So the Father is presenting the woman wisdom, and he is presenting the woman wisdom's uh, sermon or speech. Uh, And we think about that occurring, and it occurs starting at verse 22. So in the beginning, we have wisdom being introduced, and then wisdom's speech so the introduction of wisdom wisdom calls aloud in the street um outside it's too bad it's translated outside and the new king james uh in the street gets the point across much better uh it's in the street there's not a, a waiting for an audience here this is you know, wisdom is a street preacher and we think about you know, street preachers and we oftentimes kind of uh think lowly of them but wisdom is a street preacher Wisdom is going and and trying to find an audience, finding a place where there are people and to be able to intercept them. This is an offensive move. This is the offense, going out and trying to capture people who are currently subject to the flesh, the world, and the devil. So wisdom calls aloud in the street. She raises her voice in the open squares. She cries out in the chief concourses. At the openings of the gates in the city, she speaks her words. This is an escalation. Okay? She goes into the streets. She goes into the open squares, you know, kind of the, the parks. Um, she cries out in the chief concourses. Now, these are the busiest streets. Maybe where they intersect. Right later on, we have wisdom going on a hill and going to a place where streets intersect and going to the the gate. All that being together, we're we're introduced in chapter eight to wisdom doing that. She cries out in the chief concourses at the opening of the gates in the city. She speaks her words, and the gates would be a very strategic location. As you know, the gates are where the people met. It's kind of a it is an open square. It is a chief concourse. It's the place where people have to go to go in and out of the city because you have The gates for the walled cities, and so to get out of those, you have to go to the gates, and so you're going to have this place where people are meeting for public business. It's sort of, you know, the Greeks would have had the agora, the the Jews had the gates, and so the gates are the place where there's meeting for government, where there's marketplace activity that's occurring. You know, this is where you know Boaz and he who will not be named, or so and so, right, where they have the exchange of of the of the left sandal that occurs, right, with Ruth. Uh, This is this is occurring in the same sort of place, and so. This is a a choke point of traffic, um, in military terms. Right, this is this is Jing a defile, a place that's that's an obligation where people have to pass through, and so it's a great point to set up an ambush. But it's a leverage point, a decisive point in society because it's a place of government. It's a defile where everybody has to pass through, and so you know the machine gun fire of her words is able to lay down into this crowd a you know the, the word is going out and hitting all these targets. And so this is a, a an excellent tactical maneuver designed to be able to conquer the city with wisdom. And so you'd think, with this sort of excellent planning, wisdom is speaking good words in a good location, and so your expectation is, is sort of victory. But the rest of what we read is a lot of frustration. Um, in verses 22 to 23 it's not just this, this drawing in of lots of people, but instead there's a, there's a rebuking that's occurring here. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? For scorners delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. And so there's a, there's a rebuke and then there's this promise of blessing. And we, we go on and we continue to see sort of this, this threat, though. So now that, then there becomes a promise of, of curse, a threat. So let's jump back up, though, to verses 20 and 21. Um, Wisdom calls aloud in the street. Wisdom looks for places to do battle and conquer. There's a boldness here. You know, how What kind of boldness does it take to go to the street to go to the open squares, to go to the chief concourses, to go to the gates, to go to city hall, so to speak, and to speak the truth boldly. And what happens is there are promises that give boldness when you pursue wisdom. Wisdom gives boldness. Remember, in Romans, Paul says he's not ashamed of the gospel. And how does that shame dissipate? How is he not ashamed? Because he glories in the knowledge of God. And glorying in the knowledge of God gives boldness, seeing this is not shameful. The gospel is not shameful. The word of God is the only reasonable thing to believe. Anything else is silly. Anything else is foolish. Everything else falls apart. It's an incoherent mess. And so there's a boldness that comes from the certainty of the knowledge of the word of truth. So wisdom has this boldness to call aloud in the street to raise her voice in the open squares. She is picking a fight. She is looking for a fight. And she is not ashamed. This boldness. Again, so let's look at verse 33 for just a second. What does verse 33 say? Verse 33 says, But whoever listens to me will dwell safely, dwell in security, um, and will be secure. That word secure there, again, sort of a disappointing translation. You have probably a a footnote in your Bible uh, that has alternate translations for that word. And sometimes it's translated as ease or rest or peace. And that that's, that makes a lot more sense when you when you look at the structure there. It's it's but whoever listens to me will dwell in security, and it'll be so much so that you're even at peace or at rest or ease. Um, this is not the this is not Sabbath. The word's not Sabbath. There, the word is not um, um, the word is not uh, uh, shalom, uh, but it's another word for, for peace, or rest, or ease. And so you think about this idea of being without fear of evil. Right? So you'll be secure. You'll be so secure that you're really even at ease or at rest. You're enjoying blessings. And then you'll be without fear of evil, without fear of harm. And so the kind of valiant courage that comes from believing that you are able to walk and not stumble That the angels will protect you from even stubbing your foot against a rock, right? This is the kind of courage. Uh, Stonewall Jackson famously said, you know, I can have courage on the battlefield because I know that I'm as safe here as though I'm in my bed sleeping. I won't die unless the Lord has determined it's my time to die. And so... This willingness to be able to risk things, knowing that the application of wisdom and the protective hand of God allows us to expect Pascal, expect prospering, that God blesses our efforts, and that even when it comes with suffering, that it's for our good. So those are key things to keep in mind as we see this kind of boldness, because we're taught so often that we need to be winsome to win friends and influence people to be careful and and the woman wisdom here speaks boldly and is willing to offend people but also puts out things that are beautiful and she's not just trying to be offensive but she certainly is not a man pleaser she raises her voice in the open squares she does not hide um forgive the typo there she does not hide She's not ashamed of her words or actions. Publicity's not a problem. She's not worried about getting caught, right? If somebody takes a picture, puts her on the, on the front page of the New York Times, and says, you know, woman wisdom, street preaching, right? This is not something she's afraid of. This is, this is the activity where you go, what I'm doing, I'm fine if it ends up on the front page of the newspaper. I'm fine if this is spoken down and mocked. I should do this. So she's raising her voice in the open squares. It's not a secret thing. It's not a hushed thing. She is willing to openly display herself as a Christian and to argue in the public places. She looks to do open battle and to take new territory. She looks for a place to catch many and bring them to the truth. She's fishing for men in this place. Being in the chief concourses, and these are the most public places possible. This is a decisive point when you're thinking about warfare whether it's spiritual or whether it's material warfare you're looking for decisive points to capture you're thinking about the great objective right and our objective is to glorify god to fill the earth with the knowledge of god as the waters cover the sea and so the concern is to figure out what are places that we can capture that we can take where we're able to have an outsized leverage and so this chief concourse this place where the people are passing by is a way of getting hold of uh, of people when they are uh, in larger numbers, so that the speech hits more ears. And the opening of the gates is the same thing I've already talked about, but it's the place of government. And so often you look at the way the apostles engage. Look at the apostle Paul. What does he do? He he goes to the places where there are already organized churches that don't have reformation far along enough because they don't get where they are in history. They don't know that the Lord Jesus Christ has already come as the Messiah. And so he's saying let me bring to you this next development, the maturing of the church in history, and give to you truth and encourage reformation here. When the reformation doesn't happen, he splits the churches fast. And from there, he typically is also looking to find a place of operation, a house out of which he can work, and he is going and seeking uh, to engage in the public places, the universities, the, the, the marketplace. Um, he is speaking in front of magistrates and so so often we act like it's a virtue to inefficiently go after points of power and what we need to do is to be willing to intelligently engage with places where we're able with the least resources to maximize our ability to project the truth and so going and preaching to people in power uh, also requires boldness because you're worried about being mocked by these people of power these people of wealth these people uh, who seem to be significant. Um, so one of the things that uh, you know, we've seen with Apologia is, is the courage of the pastors there and their willingness to go and, and you know preach to the magistrates, to go to City Hall and, and talk about the need to end abortion immediately, uh, the, the unwillingness to simply stand by there. So there's courage that's on display there. And uh, they may be wrong about baptism, but they sure have a lot of courage. And so there's uh, something to learn from that. So we we consider this sort of spiritual warfare approach and the goal, the objective in warfare has to be focused on and our goal is the doxological focus. It's the focusing on the glory of God, the doxa. And so we need to go on the offensive, which means going out to disciple and to build. So we seek to preach the word to find people who are, uh, you know, babies in the faith and help to mature them and help them to be young men who can wield the sword and fathers who can then lead others we seek to find unbelievers and draw them in and teach them the truth and we seek to build institutions where there were not institutions before building cities where there was wilderness garden where there was wilderness we build things we're exercising dominion and seeking to organize things according to the word of god so we have to guard what we build the operational security And that's the discipline of the church and hedges, or the guarding of gates, preserving holiness. We talked about holiness last time a lot, um, and that's the focus of the earlier verses. And then there's obedience, which when you have new people and you bring them in and you're teaching them to think about their spiritual gifts and to learn, right, your, your concern is to help them become a part of the ordered process of discipleship, a commitment to order in baptism and covenanting. And so these are the basic things that are being done here. The woman wisdom is thinking about these, uh, accomplishing the objective by going on the offensive, seeking to draw people away from fools and, and get them to start thinking about wisdom and training them up to become useful themselves. So there's this appeal out there in the street. So what does she say? Right? She, she's rebuking the unresponsive, gullible ones, the simple ones, the naive how long, you simple ones, you naive ones, you gullible ones, will you love simplicity? And that's that, that word, you, know, you can also translate that, naivete or gullibility. For scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn at my rebuke. Surely I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. Now, notice the, the principal call is not to the scorner to repent, and not to the fool to repent. It's to the gullible, right? The the scorner is the one, the mocker. He's the one who's become accustomed to teaching falsehood, and so he's advocating for a false philosophy. It's possible for a scorner to to repent, right? You could have an imam repent. You could have, uh, you know, a, a a Romanist priest repent. It happened with Luther right you you can see opposition to the truth uh, that is that is matured in its opposition and is vociferous in its opposition you can see that repent but ordinarily the people that are going to repent and be brought into discipleship are going to be the simple you think about J C Ryle's book Thoughts for Young Men he, he goes through this idea that that it's easier to help young men to change habits than it is for a man who's older and kind of built into these bad sinful habits. And so in terms of just um, points of strategic influence, what have kind of the, the cultural Marxists, the, the, you know, the godless, the critical theorists what have they done? They've, they've captured the institutions of learning to a large extent so that they can take people while they're gullible and form them into habits of behavior and thought. And so, the, in our own culture, that's happened. you taking children, right? And that's why handing children over to Caesar, handing children over to be taught by the godless, by the wicked, by the scorners, to be put over into those places is so deadly. And so we require that members give a Christian education to their children because of the danger of those who are scorners and those who are fools having influence on the gullible, the simple, those who are raw youths. So, how long, you gullible, will you love gullibility? One of the difficulties of raising children is just getting them to start caring about becoming not simple. The process of of catechizing is the process of desimplifying the mind. You are increasing the number of differences. You are increasing the number of distinctions and differentiations in the mind. You're creating categories. You're helping to see categories. right? Where Whereas originally you might think anybody that smiles is a good guy. You start to think how do I differentiate between those who have the appearance of goodness and those who are evil? How, how do I distinguish those things how do i distinguish between good and evil myself so we're introduced to this category and the, the the first psalm which we'll be singing after this is really delightful in the way it links up with the book of proverbs because you have the category of the ungodly you have the the sinner and you have the scorner and the the, the simple the gullible the naive uh, is a different word in Hebrew in, in this text right here in Proverbs and what we see in uh, Psalm 1. But there's a linking up there. The, the ungodly, those who are not pursuing God, but they are the gullible. And then there's the sinner, someone who's hardened in sin, and we run into the fool. And there's two words for fool uh, in this text and or in, in the book of Proverbs that are used over and over again. A wheel and kessel. And then there's the scorner which is less, and so the scorner, the mocker, is that hardened form. And so when we think about the simple, when we think about discipling our own children, and helping to deal with people who, as they come into the church, we're dealing with the raw youth, those who are without knowledge, they're swayable, right? They're blown about by every wind of doctrine. And the goal is to take them, give them the milk of the word, and help them by discernment to become used to choosing what is good. Help them to become settled in knowledge, settled in wisdom, that they can rightly distinguish. And so, if you're thinking, am I naive? Am I simple? Am I the gullible? Well, first of all, the simple neglects the call of wisdom, and may even start to avoid opportunities to engage in consideration of truth, as the simple tilts toward a sort of settled foolishness. So, are you neglecting the outward and ordinary means of grace? We're commanded morning and evening to pray, to take in the word, and to sing praise every day. And on the Lord's Day, the Sabbath, we are to use the whole day, seeking to grow in the knowledge of God, and we're to do that with the outward and ordinary means, but that includes holy conference and discussion between believers. And so this idea of sharing in the communion of the saints and discussing the things of God during the day. And so this day as an ordinary means are you pursuing those things or neglecting them are you avoiding those things now in that process are you using the things that god has appointed in vain or are you seeking to actually put off your naivete and put on understanding are you trying to actually get rid of your simplicity and gain discernment do you want to get rid of gullibility and put on wisdom Are you actually trying to seek those things, or is this sort of just a going through the motions, right? If you're reading and not understanding what you're reading, then are you asking questions about what you're reading? Are you asking the questions to yourself, maybe taking notes? Are you then taking those and asking somebody who knows more, right? So what are you doing to eliminate that fog? There are basic questions. Um, Think about epistemology, metaphysics, and ethics, right? How do you know anything? What's real? What's well, good? Can you answer those questions? How do you know anything? What's, what's the defensive knowledge? Are you able to explain your view of the world as opposed to the dominant view of things? Do you, do you see the world as basically material and, and force and motion or is it governed by the providence of God? Is it, is it creation from God? Is God the dominant thing in reality? Do you understand that you get knowledge from his divine revelation? Do you understand that choosing right and wrong is dependent upon knowing what's right and wrong and that's revealed to us by the law? And so the first psalm, (coughs) the first psalm says to meditate on the law of God day and night. And so that's, Taking the outward, ordinary means and seeking to get it into you to help you to become not simple but to become discerning or wise. So wisdom begins to express exasperation with the gullible and the fool and the scoffer for being unresponsive to the call. It says uh, point seven here on page three: scoffers delight in their scorning and fools hate knowledge. So here's we've had we had the gullible. We were introduced to, and now we're introduced to the mocker and to the fool. The mocker is a preacher of evil, overpowered by pride or arrogance, well-versed in attacking truth, defiling the pure and mocking virtue. This is the anti-wise, the anti-prophet. So... You know, the wise speaks truth and the fruit of the lips of the wise brings much benefit to other people. The prophet proclaims truth and seeks to convict people of sin, bring repentance. This scoffer, this mocker, wants to make things unclear, wants to mock truth, wants to eliminate conviction of sin and encourage people in their sin. Think about how dominated our culture, pop culture is by the scoffer. How much art is just the scoffer? And so the places of influence are dominated by these things. So the fool and the scorner, the the scorner delights in his scorning. He loves speaking things against the truth, This, this useless invective, the attacking words. He denies the call of wisdom and loves to speak foolishness and spread it fool is less concerned about spreading the fool over time will become aware of the fact that the call of wisdom still brings some conviction it kind of destroys the enjoyment of things and so eventually as someone hardens as a fool he begins to realize the importance of drawing other people into his foolishness to help to eliminate conviction and just have to put down what is good right so there's kind of this degree of hardening that occurs but the fool you know, we think about the simple. The simple is neglected and perhaps started to avoid wisdom. The fool neglects and avoids and is starting to resist the call. Whereas the scorner is the denier of it. And so remember, nard, neglect, avoid, resist, deny. We see that, that, that kind of trailing out. The scorner is really denying. The, the ungodly is neglecting. And so, none seek. We just we read in, in Psalm 14. None seek, none understand, none do what is right. right? We get that in Romans as well. And so the failure to seek the knowledge of God, which nobody will do apart from the Holy Spirit regenerating, that failure to seek is inevitably going to have this downward slide as the suppression of the truth occurs. And so we want to, to catch people as they are in that simple state and help them to begin to consider wisdom. There's this call. Uh, wisdom says to turn at my rebuke. And there's a promise that follows after this command. To turn at your rebuke. This is a command to repent. Wisdom is saying seek wisdom. Get understanding. Do what is right. Stop neglecting chokmah. Stop neglecting wisdom. Stop neglecting instruction. Misar. It's a terrifying thing to be given over to your sin. So why would anybody ever want to join a church? Because you go, well, now I'm accountable. I've got discipline there's authority why do i have to deal with all of this if you're seeking wisdom and want instruction you want discipline to help you to avoid falling off the rails that's the benefit of the covenant community the hedges and the discipline are a blessing and so our society emphasizes how authority is is awful right you're used to me saying this right every disney movie ever teaches <laughs> to throw off authority because parents are bad right that's the thing You need to follow your own heart and do whatever you feel like. And so we need to throw off all instruction, all discipline, all training, because it's just a hedge that prevents us from going to the other greener fields. And that's a lie. It's a lie. We should stop avoiding wisdom and instruction. If you avoid instruction, instruction will find you. Chastisement will find you. And it will be much more painful. We should stop resisting wisdom and instruction. If you resist, your fall will be great. Right? There's a pride in rejecting and resisting correction. It sets us up for a greater fall. Denying wisdom and instruction results in being shattered. Right? Those who are in positions of authority who reject Christ christ he shatters them with his rod of power there is there is nothing there to be desired so we know that there is discipline that it is innate in man that this is a miserable thing to reject wisdom and we also know that it's a terrifying thing and that there is punishment in the last great day that we will be judged according to our works and that if it were not for the works of christ in our place our judgment would not be positive So surely I will pour out my spirit on you. If there's a repentance, there's a pouring out of the spirit. And this is really interesting language because this is new covenant language. It's pouring out of spirit. You see all sorts of talk of sprinkling in the Mosaic covenant. And this pouring points to the idea of an increased giving of the spirit. increased, Increased gifting, increased cleansing. And so this is really interesting language in an old covenant context to see the idea of pouring out of the spirit. And so we see here this idea that if you turn from foolishness and instead pursue after wisdom, which, who's got the power to do that? Well, the Holy Spirit does. So if the Holy Spirit causes you to seek wisdom, then the Holy Spirit's going to give you more wisdom. And He's going to cleanse you of sin to reduce the indwelling of sin. And He's going to give you power to be effective. He's going to give you gifting. And so that pouring out Of that pouring out language, this is a promise of blessing. If you repent, you will get much more blessing. The pouring out of the spirit is used to talk about the abundance of gifting in the new covenant. Seeking wisdom results in much power and effectiveness. I will make my words known to you. And here's here's a result. The pouring out of the spirit. This isn't the pouring out of the spirit is not a mystical thing separated from the word. The word of God is the thing that is used to to teach us. And the Holy Spirit will effectively cause the words to be known. Seeking wisdom will result in getting an increased wisdom. He who has wisdom will seek more wisdom. He who seeks more wisdom will get more wisdom. And that goes back to the purpose of this book. In the very beginning we were told, look, those who are simple will gain understanding. And those who are wise will gain more learning. And so we see here the idea that we continue to use the ordinary means. You use them at the beginning. You use them till the end. And there's an increased blessing that comes with it. So we move now into this more harsh part of the sermon. Wisdom's denunciation. Uh, As we look at verse 24, let me read through verse 27. Because I have called and you refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one regarded. Because you disdained all my counsel and would have none of my rebuke. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your terror comes. When your terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind. When distress and anguish come upon you. This is a high-pressure sale. There's uh, a lot on the line here. Why would wisdom do this? You see any Christian start to Use fire and brimstone stuff. The response is always other Christians saying, "You know, I don't think that's going to be very effective. You catch more flies with honey, right?" It, this is when was the last time you you saw other Christians you know slapping somebody in the back for like way to give it to him, but it knocked some sense in there. Great job being brave. Appreciate the fact you took the scorn of the world here, speaking the truth boldly, right? This. This is not something that we tend to commend. The church in our age is weak and docile and fearful and not willing to say hard things. The woman wisdom here is far more masculine than the men in most of our churches. Why do this? Well, 2 Timothy 3.16 by J. Adams, has great books on counseling, and he argues that there's a process that has to be used to try to deal with getting people to put off sin. The first is you teach them doctrine. You convict them of sin by objectively preaching the law and showing how what they're doing is sin. And you show them guilt. And then you show them what ought to be done, what should be put on, the correction. And then from there, the idea of training in righteousness. Now, the danger is if you think that's necessary for evangelism, Um, you don't have to go through an elongated process of discipling to get somebody to be evangelized to effectively. A brief reminder of the law and the preaching of the gospel could very powerfully be used. People are already aware of sinfulness. I'm not saying don't preach the law. I'm not saying don't preach the law. But there is an innate awareness of guilt. Everybody knows they violate their own conscience. You use the law to draw that out further. You're reminding of it if there's any sort of resistance and mockery of the need for the gospel, if there's any sort of pretense to self-righteousness, if you're doing it to a broad audience, right? you certainly should teach the law. But when you're dealing oftentimes in a place where you have you know, a luxuriant church, right, Proverbs is in the context of covenant community. Israel was a nation that was covenanted Almost everybody was a church member. Almost everybody is circumcised. Almost everybody is a part of this people who say, yeah, I'm leaving Yahweh. And so in the context of covenant, calling to reformation, calling people to reformation. And so anybody who has some sort of a profession of Christianity, is pointing them to the curses of rejecting the covenant You know, God has given us His Word. There's an outward call but you refuse to commit and to pursue. He stretches out His hand and says, take this, and we don't regard it. He gives counsel, His Word, and by preachers, and we disdain it. He rebukes us in His law. When we do not turn and we have not been turning, do we expect him to laugh at our calamity? Or do we think we can just give him the tattered shreds of our lives at the end and expect him to just go, oh, thank you. He will laugh at our calamity. He will mock when our our terror comes. And then there's an emphasis, right? This is so startling to most people about their perception of, of God. Wisdom would say this. How could wisdom say this? This is so unchristian. When your terror comes like a storm. Not just the terror coming. the terror comes like a storm. And your destruction comes like a whirlwind. That's a magnification of storm, right? When distress and anguish come upon you. This isn't just something where you're like, well, there's a storm going on, but I'm real calm. No, you're distressed and you are in anguish. And so, this refusal... Under the context of the preaching of wisdom, there's an increased responsibility. And so the discipline that comes on a covenant people in the midst of that kind of preaching there's an increased responsibility. The book of Leviticus talks about how not repenting results in seven times discipline. Not repenting brings seven times discipline. It multiplies out. The laughing and the mocking at calamity, terror, terror like a storm, destruction like a whirlwind, distress, anguish. This is supposed to do one thing. It's supposed to make us see the need to repent right now. Right. So if you are aware of a duty, you repent right now. If you're neglecting it, you start pursuing it. If you're in the middle of a sin, you repent, you turn away from it right now. You hear and you don't do anything and then the discipline comes, the terror, the calamity, the terror, the terror like a storm, the destruction like a whirlwind, the distress and anguish. What expectation is there of anything but mockery or laughter? Now the mercy of Christ is enormous. We can be forgiven. True repentance is never too late. But late repentance rarely true and so we have to be aware of that fact and so many people presume upon the mercy of god and just say well i'll deal with it later right augustine's famous thing you know lord help me to repent but not yet so we complete this section with the threat and the, the, the calling to immediate repentance to, to stop now and to start doing what we're commanded to do now we will get a verse 28. Here wisdom is, is reflecting on the sermon. They will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despised my every rebuke. Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled to the full with their own fancies. Now when does this happen in history? Okay. You can see people who are kind of exploring after some sort of great disaster in their own lives. But also, think philosophically. What's the deal with Buddhism? What's the deal with Hinduism? Why Islam? Right? Why rejecting the Messiah Judaism? Why do people have any sort of religious conviction? Why are people pursuing any sort of claim to wisdom? They're seeking wisdom and they're not finding it. What's Mormonism about? Jehovah's Witnesses. This is all false religion that's seeking after wisdom and they're looking for answers to deal with suffering. They're trying to find a way of dealing with the meaninglessness, boredom, and guilt of their lives and it comes down to either denying guilt or it comes down to a self-righteousness and an effort to kind of cover that up and then the pursuit of some sort of a goal, some sort of a meaning, but it's not coherent. The only system that is coherent is the Christian religion, the revealed religion. And so this pursuit in this situation of disaster. Think about all the old pagan gods. Think about Rome. If you read The City of God, Augustine just talks about all these pagans that go, you know, Rome was destroyed, and the reason Rome was destroyed is because we weren't pursuing after the Roman gods enough. I mean, think about the silliness of the Roman religion and their gods. The silliness of their gods. Any of the mythology stories you're aware of, are these things worthy of your worship? And there's a grasping on and the effort to find wisdom there. They, they take these vain fancies. And so they, they, they look for wisdom, they don't find it, and they hold on to inventions. There's the counsel of wisdom, and there's fancies. Verse 31 Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way. Right? The fruit of their own way was not seeking wisdom when it could be found. And so what happens? They'll be filled to the full with their own fancies, their own vain imaginings, their own conceptual gods, their own conceptual idols. There's a calling on wisdom, but it's a false calling on wisdom. They hated knowledge, they did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would not take the counsel of wisdom. I despise the rebukes of wisdom. Rebukes of wisdom are when the law condemns you and your conscience you go, Ah, I'm guilty. The counsel of wisdom is what you're supposed to do. The fear of the Lord, do you realize that God is holy, God is just, God is all powerful? You are a sinner. That you need redemption in Christ. Do you see that knowledge is the good, that you need to get the knowledge of God, that knowing God is the good for you? The fruit of foolishness, the fruit of going your own way, is death and destruction. And we think about death and we think about life. Death is unbelief, right? You, you believe falsehood, that's spiritual death. And spiritual life is the knowledge of God. John seventeen three. This is eternal life, to know the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom he sent. The relationship in Proverbs over and over again between death and life. Rejecting wisdom is rejecting life. Foolishness is death. And so these vain imaginings result in these preposterous systems of thought as efforts to avoid meaninglessness, boredom, and guilt. They're not successful. They bring more destruction. Verse 32, For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Now, when I introduced the fool a little bit earlier to you, back on page 3, it's 7b, the fool. There were two words, a wheel and kessel. These are two morally compromised blockheads. I use those words advisedly, okay? Morally compromised blockheads. And I want to show you the, the connection. They suppress the truth because of a hardening into the love of sin. A wheel is obtuse because of moral perversion. You might say that a wheel is an idiot or he's foolishly causing trouble. Kessel, uh, you think about the idea of the lazy man who sticks his hand in the bulb that's too lazy to lift it to his mouth. That's a great image for Kessel. Okay? Um, Kessel is morally perverse because of obtuseness. Think about the opposite theory. We have will, he's obtuse from moral perversion. His thought is clouded because of his love of foolishness. Whereas Kessel is perverse because of obtuseness. He won't think, and so he's kind of taking the stuff that's there. The word is rooted in the word for, uh, to, for thick or fat, overconfident. Um, he foolishly fails to prevent trouble. When we get to verse 32, here we have the turning away of the simple, the gullible, the naive, will slay them. They're they're neglecting. They're turning away from wisdom. They're not pursuing wisdom. They're not seeking wisdom. But the complacency of fools will destroy them. And that word there for fools is kessel. The moral perversion because of obtuseness so he's being complacent he won't seek knowledge he's being obtuse and it results in his own destruction whoever listens to me will dwell in security and will have peace without fear of evil so on the other side we have there's death and destruction versus security and peace and no fear of harm no fear of evil So the turning away of the simple slays them. It destroys them. That neglecting of the outward and ordinary means and the not seeking to understand it, doing it vainly, doing it with a vain repetition. And the other side, complacency. If you are bored in seeking the knowledge of God, that's the sign of complacency. If you're not growing in godliness, that's complacency. So you should be worried about that. And you need to pursue after wisdom. Pursue what God teaches. Now, if we pursue wisdom, if we listen, if we heed the word of wisdom, it provides security, it provides a protection against harm, it provides ease or peace, an enjoyment of blessings, and the reduction of work necessary to guard. Think about this. If you pursue wisdom, it makes it so that there's less worry about being overcome by evil. If you pursue wisdom, right, we think about what do we pray for? Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. If we order things so as to make it so that we're spending our time productively pursuing wisdom, and we seek to eliminate things that are distractions, we are removing stumbling blocks from our own lives. And so, there is this way in which in removing those things, life becomes easier. There's less danger of being ambushed by your own flesh, being ambushed by the world, and the idea of giving ground to the devil to cause trouble. We live in a place where we can be without fear of harm, which allows us to act with boldness. And maybe if we're there, we'll find ourselves going to preach in the streets and in the city square and the chief concourses and in the gates. Now, I have a list for you on page six of doctrines that we've kind of gone through that are building on each other. We're supposed to pursue wisdom and instruction. We're trying to understand who our loyalties should be to. So there's the father and the mother. There's the household. There's the legitimate authorities we're supposed to think about. And on the other side, there's kind of the gang, the corrupt fools. And now we've got a breakdown, right? Look what's happening to us as we're going through the book of Proverbs. We had the distinction between lawful covenant obligations versus kind of the gang. And now we're getting the gang broken down. You look at the gang, you've got the simple people in it, you've got the fools in it, you've got the scorners, the leaders of the gang, right? And so now we're starting to have the evil assembly. being shown to us so our own simplicity is being removed as we're being given a grid to see the world in and that helps us to have right loyalties so we can have right holiness we can be uh, dedicated to the right purpose and to the right people helps us to understand true friendship pursuing the good together covenants as a hedge and protection and obligation to make friendship strong and so we now have on the other side the people we're supposed to avoid or that we're supposed to seek to draw in and help the simple, the scorner, and the fool. And just as in battle it would be foolish for a new soldier to seek to go fight somebody who is you know, special forces, somebody who is beginning to take in the word, who is a child in the faith, should be careful about engaging with the scorner or well, being around fools. We, all, we like to read the stories about Jesus hanging out with sinners, and in those stories we're all like, I'm Jesus, right? And that, that makes us that we feel like we can be justified spending our time with sinners. And the reality is, we're the sinners. And so, the idea that we need to be aware of is that when we're drawn in to get rid of our simplicity, uh, we we are trying to protect ourselves and to be hedged in until we have strength, until we are, you know, the anti-scorner, the anti-mocker. Once we have wisdom, and we we are fit for sort of that battle. And how do you know that? You look at the qualifications of an elder. And those are the things you're seeking to have. Every one of you men. So you can be useful in battle. So you can be a man of valor. A mighty man of valor. That's the goal. So those are the things that we've been laid out for us. The applications are also stacking. We should seek the fear of God. That's the beginning of wisdom. Parents are our first and natural teachers. We should always test what's being taught and believe what's true. We should be careful to be loyal to good, true teachers. We should choose friends wisely. We should realize that we need to work with friends to grow in the knowledge of God. We need to find those who are committed to seeking the knowledge of God and commit ourselves to them in covenanting. We should identify the simple, the fool, and the scorner and not be the simple, the fool, or the scorner. And until we're wise, we should avoid fools and scorners. And we should call the simple to come and learn and spend time with the wise, growing in wisdom. Comments, questions, objections from the voting members? Mr. Cordova? I appreciate your teaching. Uh, very helpful. Uh, you may have talked about this word, but uh, assuming sworn and mocker, you have an extra, it like yes... Is that, is, that the, um, is that the meaning of less? Yeah, less, L-E-S, that, that's, that's the Hebrew word for the, the scorner or the mocker. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Mr. Nye? Thank you for your teaching. I wanted to ask about verse 28. Yes, sir. Said, and says, they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Um, I believe that you um, really referred to false religions mm-hmm. so so they are not actually seeking God they are seeking what they think is God they are seeking wisdom and not finding it um, and is that do we, do we conclude that because in order to in order to have Scripture be consistent, that if anyone, if anyone truly seeks God, it's because God has called them to to seek Him. Like it's because it's because they they exist here in Him the and and so any in, 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 in any situation where someone seeks but does not find is because. They they're not they're not regenerate. God is not God himself. Yeah, this is a false seeking. So, to deal with the coherence of Proverbs itself, and to deal with the coherence of the broader text of Scripture, Mm -hmm. what does this mean? How do we deal with this? And so that uh, that also seems to be clear from the context that what are they seeking? Well, they're seeking not the wisdom that's revealed by God. But instead, because they wouldn't take the counsel of God, they wouldn't take the revealed word of God, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own fancies. Right? These are vain imaginings. They're inventing gods. Right? So, so this, is, this is any false philosophy, any false definition of what is good Right, that ultimately is their god, right? So Marxists have a god, right? Their god is the materialistic universe, right? So they believe that matter essentially is eternal, right? So that's god. And the material dialectic is going to result in the new heavens and new earth of the proletariat utopia, right? And so you, you can any, any false philosophy, whether they claim explicitly to have a god or not, has a god. So yeah, false good, false feeling good. All right, let's pray. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom. Thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us to turn to the rebuke of wisdom, that we would have security, that you would give us peace, and that you would cause us to fear no evil. We pray that you would give us boldness to speak the truth, that we would do it in public and in private, that we would not keep it only to private, and that we wouldn't only do it in public for the praise of men, but that we would do it in both. We pray this in Christ's name.